Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Are you in fashion? Are you in fashion? fashion. Um, the 501 is back on trend. <laughs> I'm not doing so fashion, eh? It's definitely its own art form and there's lots of different factors of it. Yes, that's what we're talking about. But as you know, it's also, importantly, a business. There are other fabrics on the market that we need to be showing the world that are possible to bring in. We've had this um, crazy style called the wedgie, which we cannot get enough stock of. My heels are killing me. killing me. Like, they're actually killing me. Hi, I'm Sonia Sly, and Heels is a podcast that looks behind the scenes of the fashion industry at the people, the creativity, the innovation, and the business. And in this episode, I'm looking at sustainability and the rise of a ubiquitous staple, jeans. They've become part and parcel of rebellion and have appeared in movies that have redefined youth culture from rebel without a cause. You know something? No, what? You read too many comic books. <laughs> To Greece. By the way, I'm not a fan of musicals, but that song is so catchy. Jeans have become a staple in wardrobes everywhere, and there's no shortage of denim brands, including Subi, Avisa, Current Elliot, New, AGS, Pepe, G Star, Diesel, Acne, Rag and Fro, Religion, 25 RPM, Citizens of Humanity, MIH, Frame, with brands from the US to the Netherlands, Italy, Japan, and even China produces its own denim brands. And not to forget the original brand that brought workwear into an everyday essential. Levi's. They're still at the top of the denim game, and more so now than ever. They're even the top-selling denim brand in India. My wardrobe is so full of jeans and denim things, and I've even got piles on the floor. When anything new comes comes in, I have to have it. It's horrible consumerism. It's it's a lot. Yeah, it's not a great question to ask me. It's a lot. (laughs) Meet Nikki Rousel. She loves jeans. And it makes sense. She's the marketing manager for Levi Strauss Australia and New Zealand. We've, I guess, focused um, definitely in the last five years since I've been with the business on um, connecting the brand with music and um, being at the centre of culture at at cultural times, at festivals and, you know, in motorbike culture and um, doing a lot of stuff with our tailor and customisation. If you did a word association around the world and said jeans, Levi's would probably come up first. We're in a fortunate position in every market around the world. People love Levi's. But there's a lot of denim brands that are also doing great jobs in the, in the marketplace as well. I think Levi's fits most people's lifestyle, whether we're a brand not dissimilar to a Nike, where your dad can be wearing a pair of jeans, your, your son, your daughter, and a teenager, and your grandpa and no one is offended by any generation wearing the brand or the product. It plays into every space, every demographic. It's an inclusive, democratic brand. Whereas there are some brands that you look at and if your dad's wearing it, you know it's not cool anymore. Although, to be fair, when I was at high school, I recall wearing a pair of my dad's old jeans with oxblood-coloured dock boots. But the thing about Levi's is the... Like a Nike that sells from across lots of different department stores and fashion boutiques through to skateboarding, surf, retail, 
it's a unique, corner of the market. It's a unique position to be in, but you know, it's taken 165 years to get to that point. And if they hadn't nailed it by now, you'd be worried. But remember the long string of denim brands that have entered the marketplace over the years? Well, I wonder if Levi's sees them as competition. I think everyone's competition. You're all competing for the same consumer dollar. So I think that not only denim brands are our competition, you know, the athletic industry is our competition. Um, I think entertainment. Young people are spending their money these days on experiences. So they want to go to a music festival or they want to, you know, travel. So... Um, they're spending their, their hard-earned dollars or saved dollars on on having fun. So if you've got limited, you know, pocket money and you're you got a hundred bucks in your wallet and you want to go to see some music, we're competing against that, and not only fashion. You know, brands can come and go in terms of what's favoured. Levi's has kind of reinvented itself over the past maybe five years. Um, I. I'd like to think so. That's how long I've been in the job. Oh, great. Well, you are doing a fantastic job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess we're in a fortunate position. We're one of those heritage brands not dissimilar to a Nike or an Adidas. Um, we have been around for 165 years, so there's a lot of heritage and history and innovation there as a backstory. And I guess... Um, like you've identified, I do think we've been doing a, a, not to be a not, not to have my head up my own ass, but we've, we've been doing a great job with, I guess, reconnecting our our heritage brand with, I guess, a new fan and a, a young generation that are discovering the brand perhaps for the first time, um, and just connecting with them on what's important today. But I also, you know, acknowledge that trends come and go and it's cyclical, and I do think there's a lot of you know fashion trends that are back like sports brands, big logos, and athleisure refuses to die. But you won't catch me in the office in leggings anytime soon. Just saying. You know, feelers back and all those sporting brands that are really hot right now. So we were playing in that space from the beginning. And what Levi's also have in their favour is the return of the 90s. We're super lucky that, that those few decades are back. We um, were there owning those decades with Cindy Crawford and the super, the original supermodels that all loved Levi's and the 501 gene and Heritage is back. I think the slow movement is definitely on trend with sustainability and I think if you're a smart consumer and you value the environment and, and you're not into fast fashion and I think sometimes consumers get lost because perhaps they want something that's inexpensive or cheap but with that comes a price and a human has had to make that for a cheaper price point and also the environment suffers as a consequence. So you get what you pay for and I guess we value quality and the slow movement. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of cogs in motion of why Levi's would be back on trend. What is interesting about fashion right now is also that subversive element of designers really pulling apart what clothing is is the pressure to kind of conform or or have the brand filter out into all those areas that kind of begin to permeate the consciousness of what fashion is becoming or, or the potential of what it is? Like Levi's invented the, the denim category for a start and effectively it was constructed as a work pant for miners and cowboys and farmers and, um, you know, went on to become a, a fashion item more so in the 70s and 80s and it represented revolution and rebellion and 
youth and music. But like Madonna, Levi's are the kings of reinvention. They know how to hit the right notes and collabs keep them in all areas of the industry, making the brand both accessible and exclusive. We have recently done a collaboration with Nike. It's not the first collab that we've done with them, but we did a Jordan collab recently and there were fights around the world with the limited edition product with people queuing to get these limited edition items. We've also done collabs with Vietmont and Off-White. Comfortable contemporary international labels that speak of today with those high price tags. We've also had people mimicking our brand, always borrow from other designers and use the influence and do great collaborations together and I think that's where we've been pretty proactive and good in that space in the last few years is um, doing those kind of high-end fashion collabs to put us in a different space with a, a different kind of consumer. And it's working because people just can't get enough. What makes a brand even more relevant is his stance on ethical production. We're not the best at communicating our sustainability pursuits. Like you identified, we've been doing it for decades. It's not because it's fashionable to be sustainable at the moment. We've been doing it for a long time. I've got a forward plan myself and I know what the global team are working towards. So I think you'll find um, that we start talking about it more um, efficiently and productively and, and outwardly in uh, the coming six months because I think there is a thirst for it. Consumers do want to know where their products come from and they do want to know that a brand is contributing to the the workers' well-being in the various um, countries that we have our factories and production supply chain in. We we build schools, we help with medical um, facilities in those environments in which we do have factories. So giving back is important to us and we don't always um, sing and dance about it and write it into our marketing and greenwash things. We don't do it for for those reasons. We do it because it's the right thing to do as a company, as a social responsibility. You tread a fine line between doing the right thing, be it sustainability or giving back to humanity and we do it for the right reasons because it's the right thing to do. When you're a company as big and as you know, old, I guess, as Levi's. So Levi's have got a couple of ranges that focus on sustainable processes. But the most recent thing we have been doing is with Wellthread and with Waterless. And where it used to take 42 litres of water to make a pair of jeans, they've now reduced it right down to... quarter of a cup. We share that with the whole fashion industry because there's no point in we just going out and spending money on doing the research. It's, it's good for the planet, so we share that knowledge so that's part of our water, waterless collection. Now, for Levi's, thinking ahead about the future of the brand and production is key. Levi's have just launched a major project called FLX, which stands for Future-Led Execution. So we're always trying to, in, you know, I guess with this, both design and with production, um, be more innovative in how we design and produce our garments. We are, I guess, training our people to use laser technology. So what, what once used to take a human um, with a pumice stone or with a stone and doing actually grinding work with a grinder to get the, the fading and the, the, rips and repair, the rips in the jeans to make it look more worn because that's obviously a fashion trend. That used to take a person um, a period of time to do it and we've now trained those same technicians to use laser technology so it, it, I guess it speeds up the supply chain 
and also reduces the human labour and, and can also eventually, I guess, get priced down to the end consumer with a kind of an end unit price on that garment. This is something that we're scaling across our entire denim supply chain. This is going to be our new operating model. We are all in. It takes an hour to make two to three pairs of jeans with a 90-second automated laser for the detailing. It's pretty remarkable technology, and again, we'll be sharing that technology with the industry. Um, we've, we've got a, a lab in, in San Fran, which is out where our head office is, and called the Eureka Lab. We have a whole team of technicians and scientists, and our design team can just walk down there and produce a pair of jeans on the spot. So it's a pretty exciting um, innovation lab that we have access to that we've built there, and we're constantly working on ways to improve the supply chain for sure. And just to clarify, the technology is focused on the finish of the jeans. And there's a video on our RNZ My Heels Are Killing Me page if you want to check it out. The jeans get kind of, you know, hung up, I guess, and um, the laser, like a robot, like you say, just <laughs> shoots the, the jeans and, and you can um, actually program in the, de- the design pattern and the whiskering where you need it in the crotch area or the knee or sandblasting or the sandblasting look and effect. It's pretty incredible what can be done these days. So what used to happen traditionally in 8, 10, 12 minutes with manual applications, we can now execute with the laser in 90 seconds or so. But do they have the same feel? I mean, if you're going to have a pair of jeans that have been designed and pumiced down, they're going to be softer and feel like they've been worn in. But with a digital patterning, they're still going to be... Yeah, well, I guess that's the the goal and the aim. And um, our design team would never um, produce a garment that doesn't have the same hand feel look as a human, it's just not part of our design ethos. So that's the whole, I guess, incredible side of this technology is it does have the same hand feel. It, it's using heat, so it would burn out threads um, and get the same soft feel. I know for sure our quality um, would not pass them if they were not same, same. But for producers of garments, there's always a problem of dead stock to contend with. You know, the items that don't shift off the shelves. What happens to them? Every fashion company and every company in the world that manufactures a um, product deals with, at some point, stock that that is dead stock. It's our goal from a planning point of view to um, reduce that, clearly, because it's not good for anyone. But we have our own ways of flushing stock. We have factory outlets. We also sell, you know, through discount chains. It's not ideal, but it, it happens in the fashion industry. That's why there's sales. It's pretty tricky to predict how many units of any garment you're going to sell um, across your range at any one point. And quite ironically, it's, we can never get enough of our hot items. They sell out super quick and we don't have enough stock. And then, you know, sometimes in every range, there's a bit of a slow mover and you end up with some excess stock and you move that on to um, your own channels. But we own a lot of those own channels and we can control control where that goes ourselves. So. What are the hot styles of like for 2018? We have had for girls, we've had this um, crazy style called the wedgie, which we cannot get enough stock of. The 501 is back on trend. I guess we've repositioned the 501. So we've got um, the 501 original, we've got a 501 taper, we've got a 501 skinny, 
Um, so I guess we're using the 501 as a blueprint and because to your point earlier, everyone's interested in vintage and that vintage original 501 true blue. So I guess we've been playing in that space trying to, I guess, capitalize on our own IP and develop a lot of styles that are red hot right now. Um, wide leg and anything from the 70s is back. Boot cuts are back. High rise is back. Um, and everyone wants to wear vintage. So we've been working on washes going back into our own archive and drawing on our own history to reproduce um, those vintage looks. Um, so, yeah, it's quite exciting. With the wedgie fit, because that's basically about how a pair of jeans looks from behind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because your butt and um, I guess it looks tight. And, again, it's that kind of whole peachy 70s look. So it hugs your butt. It's a really great fit. It's made out of, a, I guess, a chunkier weight of denim. It feels great. It holds you in. And it comes in a, a range of washes. I actually tried on a pair of those. And I felt like they gave me a butt that wasn't there before. So you've actually got to really want that part of yourself accentuated. It's definitely a, a cheeky jean for sure, but, you know, some people love that. Just not me. But, yeah, back to the reinvention of Levi's. How do they navigate their way through the likes of social platforms like Instagram and remain agile in a space that continues to change? In my career, I grew up going through uni. I, we didn't have social media and it was a much easier time it's evil and it's good at the same time it's one of those things that you need to be on top of you can communicate quicker what does the future of Levi's look like I think if we're playing in lots of different spaces that are authentic to our brand at the moment it's music and creative pursuits it's authentic to our what we do in Australia we've created the largest music prize in the country the Levi's music prize which gives back to emerging artists. We've created the first 24-7 helpline for people in the music industry and services related to that with mental health problems. We're always giving back to humanity and to the planet, I think, is important for a brand like ours. But that kind of sustainable and ethical practice happens on our own shores too, and it's been at the forefront of New Zealand label Koto, who have been running now for 11 years. Yeah, so we're going to get all brand new desks. So we're working with... um these young architects in Wellington are makers of architecture and one of their core values is sustainability. They really are thinking about well, what can we do with the offcuts once we've made the desk? What are the desk material made from? We've got rugs made from recycled fishing nets and we've got wood. And this is Gosha Piontek, founder of Koto. When we met up, Koto was a couple of weeks away from the launch of their big 200 metre square flagship store with a fit out that ties in with the label's sustainability ethos. Um, I'll show you the design area actually. Area and this is Marie Lou. Yeah. Who's just come on board to work with Koto and she's in the process of revising collections for 2019. She's come in where everything's kind of three quarters there. So it's like, it's really interesting for a creative person to try and make sense of somebody else's creative process. You know, and I think. And potentially change a few things as well? We've changed so much. But I mean, we have to, we've got a new creative person in, in here now so I have to um, trust whoever's in the role you know but we're almost complete this is winter 2019 for New Zealand okay. and for the northern hemisphere of course it's it's summer and then after that winter 2020 
But the benefit of catering to northern and southern hemispheres and doing at least five to six drops a season is... Every six months you can reinvent yourself. You're given that opportunity. I definitely feel like that when I looked at this current collection. I was like, wow, explosions of red and all the denim. Like and so high-waisted jeans. Yeah, yeah. And you obviously love denim. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> and so does Koto. They make their own denim from scratch along with other fabrics which I want to have a look at. So we make our way up to Koto's showroom where they have their summer 1819 collection waiting. Like, I can't stop touching the corduroy. Really? But I mean, yeah, well, I love corduroy, but I mean, just, you know, the structure. And the it's seriously irresistible. I don't know. It just gives me kind of nostalgic. A vintage vibe, as you can tell, like a bit more 1970s. Yeah. We're just getting this ready for our Australian press showroom, Go Lightly. Every single fabric in this room is designed by us. So we've kind of become fabric technicians. I mean, we still do a lot of prints. When I realised that the factory's capabilities can create woven, interesting fabrics, I think, it just looks so refined. Before the denim, we, we had such a floaty look. So denim works in ounces, so we, we've now... We're going to have this ecru colour. It's like a white denim, which is pretty cool. This one's a lighter weight denim. Denim's great because it just has a bit more structure to it. It's certified GOTS denim, so Global Organic Textile Standard. and it's What does that really mean, if we were to break it down for the listeners? It, it goes down to the farmer level. When they are growing the cotton, they are using organic farming techniques. For example, when I went to the farms, they showed me a few very practical things. So when they plant a row of cotton... They also plant two rows of lentils, and the lentils put nitrogen back into the soil. Plus it gives the farmer food. And the, they're very small farmers. They're only one to two acres of land. So they, they'll harvest the cotton and actually put it into their house that they're living in and then take it to the ginning mill. Okay. So it's like, it's small. It's right. small, but they're all working together through the Fair Trade Labelling Organisation to share resources and information and when I said to them, well, why are you using organic cotton? You know, why don't you just use some pesticides? And they kind of looked at me and thought, they were like, what, what do you mean? Like, you, they, they knew exactly what the pesticides do. The land becomes very reliant on pesticides when you start using them. The pesticide companies will give farmers loans to buy more pesticides with interest, which they cannot pay back. It becomes a cycle of, like, addiction for the soil. You can go back from it, but it will require more and more each season. It's just disturbing, isn't it? It's so disturbing. It really is. We try not focus on that dark information. You don't want to drive people into a purchase through guilt. You want them to just love the clothes, put it on and feel great and love the quality and love the design and we want to celebrate that. My passion for sustainability and ethics and everybody that works here, um, that we all share the same values and when we say things like right we need to get a zip who's got the most sustainable zips and then we'll go down the all the things that we've researched and be like oh it's kind of just not good enough I think we can do better okay right we won't use zips this season yeah or if someone say no but we just really need one somebody else will since its inception Koto have primarily worked with cotton but catering to different markets means having to diversify and they're now working with a fibre that New Zealanders know and love Merino, ZQ certified. We had a problem, or just an obstacle. We were like, we need warmer offering in our collection. We 
really value natural fabrics because they can decompose. And then we thought, what does New Zealand do really well? It's merino. Especially being able to get really high animal welfare standards around it. And that's what's important to us. So it's got a different story to the cotton. But I think we can still translate our values into another fibre and ask a lot of questions around it and basically go to the best certifier who can handle our questions and don't find us annoying. The label has grown exponentially since its inception and named one of Deloitte's fastest 50 growing companies for three years in a row. We really started growing in size about three years ago. What do you put that down to? We were just so gung-ho. Which meant taking the leap to break into the American and European markets and they also opened their own three-storey showroom in Melbourne. And we all just sit there and we dream up of these things and then we sort of just make them happen. That's the success of Koto. Everybody and all the new designers who are coming out now, everybody's having to be very kind of environmentally aware and think about sustainability and how the the process of manufacturing and Mm. providing this kind of transparency for consumers. You guys have been almost like ahead of the pack, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm not fashion trained. So for me it came about because I had a passion in sustainability and ethics. Then I married it with fashion. So to me it was very natural. You know, I go to the micro details, like our tacks on our denim are all made in Germany, nickel-free. Our buttons are made in Italy, and they're made from recycled hemp. We're going to be delving into new product ranges quite rapidly now that we've introduced the Merino. It's kind of opened a doorway into new fabrics and new fibres and new technology. I want to know that everything that we're going to use has a traceable story and is certified and is legitimate. And if I can't be convinced of that, I don't want to use it. But has that become easier now that other um, parts of the industry are also looking at that? Yeah, like I went to the Copenhagen Fashion Summit. It's probably the most important event around sustainability and fashion. So they've got big players there, you know, H&M. But they'll bring in Eileen Fisher from New York, who's obviously a really key sustainability person in fashion. And part of the, the summit isn't just the speakers. There is like a trade fair there, people are showing you new ideas and fabrics and what they're made from and their sustainability story. And I think 11 years ago, that wouldn't have existed. No. People are so creative and what they're doing now, it is, it's blowing my brain. That's why I was like, you know what? We need to move with the times and what we're doing with cotton is really amazing, but it's not the only way. There are other fabrics on the market that we need to be showing the world that are possible to bring in that are made from recycled materials. Do you find that, like, say, at the summit and others in the industry, are they kind of open to sharing what they've learnt? So people want it to move that way. There's no kind of like, well, this is our secret, we're not going to share. And I really loved that. It it really opened up my way of thinking, this idea of sharing resources. There's a part of me at the size that we're at that still wants to keep a level of intellectual property around our manufacturers, But I'm hoping that I can move on from that. I don't know whether it's me being paranoid, because in the end it's surely we're here for a bigger cause, which is to make the world a more sustainable place. And the way into the future for Koto is investigating new technology. Yeah, a lot of technology is coming out of Italy. When I saw them at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, what cracked me up is they're like these old geezers. They're like, (laughs) you know, men in their 60s who run factories who... 
I don't know whether they've come about it because they believe in sustainability and ethics or they've got to where they've got to because of market pressure. But either way, they are giving us designers new sustainable and ethical options and it's pretty exciting. That was Gosha Piontek from Koto. You also heard Nikki Rousel, Marketing Manager for Levi's Australia and New Zealand. And this episode was engineered by William Saunders. I'm your host and producer for My Heels Are Killing Me. And if you enjoyed this episode, then you might like to subscribe. Well, I'd love you to. You can do that via Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.